again, everybody, and welcome to the North American Soccer Show. This is episode two of World Football Index covering the MLS's back tournament as we gear up for the return of the MLS regular season. I'm your host, Dylan Baker. You can find me on Twitter at DLN underscore BKR. Uh, and with me today, as always, I say as always, this is two episodes in, but we're two for two at this stage. Uh, I've got Chris Smith. How are you? Yeah, I'm very good. Thank you. And also with me today is Brady Reed. How are you, Brady? I'm doing well, Dylan. Thanks for having me back once again. Well, when you have such a good kickoff, especially with you two covering up all of my nonsense, it's hard not to bring the two the two match winners back for 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 the for the next round. So glad to have you guys back. Glad to be back talking to you. And and what we're going to start with is we've gone through a full week now of the MLS's back tournament. When we when we recorded our first episode, we had gotten through a, about just over half of a week and now we've had matches every single day. We're getting into uh you know the end of the second round of play uh and this week will be uh the third round of play that's going to have some some crucial deciding points as far as who's going to end up uh as an automatic walk through first and second. Who's going to be able to clinch those four precious third place finishes that will be allowed to move on to the next round? Um, and because we've had the chance to watch so much uh, MLS this week, what I want to start with is as far as a distinction between round two and round one, have you guys been able to see any sort of separation between the two weeks uh, compared to the first match week uh, in a general sense? Have you seen any of these teams? really finding their feet after a rough start or continuing to fall off a cliff in terms of any, uh, in terms of expectations, uh, any successful surprises. I know we're going to get started with uh, a couple of these teams that have uh, not performed well this week, but to, to kind of, to, to kind of pitch the entire tournament at you guys, Chris, I'll come to you first. What did you see for, uh, generally from match week two or round two that could be seen as positive, negative, or at least a little surprising? I think in in terms of positives, you're seeing the likes of sort of LAFC, Columbus, Toronto. The the, the keeping sort of humming on from the first game, carrying on that really positive attacking performance. I think, they, I think all of those, all three of those teams, well, maybe not so much Columbus, but the other two have still got work to do defensively. But we're, we're seeing a lot of questions about them answered. Whether they could do it without Vela, whether they could do it without Altador, they're really showing that they can, and they're going to be one of the favourites for the tournament. I mentioned defensively then, generally across the board, I think a lot of teams have still got a lot of work to do defensively. Uh, I was pleasantly surprised with Cincinnati against Atlanta, although I don't think uh, Atlanta really tested them as much as anyone expected them to, but they were a pleasant surprise if you're not an Atlanta fan like myself. But I think the sort of general gung-ho attacking nature of it's been it's made for some good viewing so far. And Brady, kind of speaking on the the defensive point uh, that Chris made, uh, we are seeing a lot of these teams struggle to keep the ball out of the back of the net. We've seen a, a few matches that have been, you know, four and six, uh, and, and in some, in, in one particular case, eight goals uh, over the course of a single match. Uh, do you think some of these defensive issues are down to? basically not being primed and ready uh, where this is almost more of like a preseason for a lot of these teams? Or do you think that there's a little bit more, generally speaking, uh, some more work that needs to be done structurally with some of these teams in order to solve these issues? 
Yeah, I mean, if, if Bob Bradley and Co. are, are going to keep putting up a touchdown there out in L.A., I'm not sure. I'm not sure it's going to matter too much for them. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, like like Chris said, I found you know the second week uh, there was a bit of there's more more urgency, a bit more ruthlessness uh, in and around the goal, and we've seen some chances that maybe would have went uh, begging in the first week get put away, and you know some teams like we said LAFC were able to find six, and obviously Toronto FC were winners four three, so. You know, these teams, obviously, you don't want to be conceding three goals and even twice in a, in a tournament format for, for some of these teams is probably not ideal. But the, the interesting dynamic about it for me is all these managers, for the most part, are, are used to, you know, the, the regular season format that the MLS has. And to come in here and in a tournament setting, I mean, anybody who watches the World Cup or the European Championships is well aware how tactically different international play can be. So, you know, when these when these players and these managers find themselves in you know, a little bit of a different circumstance. It's 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 a little bit uncomfortable, and and the fact you've been sitting on your couch for four months doesn't help. So I think that's played a role, and I don't think that will be the theme as this tournament goes on. I think some of the stronger teams will tighten up, and whoever can continue to find that finishing touch while you know tidying things up at the back is going to have probably the best chance of finding a way to get this thing done. Well, let's keep on the track of some of the uh, some of the some of the sides that you would have expected to perform better. There have been, I think, we've selected three that we really need to take a look at. Um, one of which we spoke briefly about last week that we'll come on to here in a few minutes. But Chris, unfortunately, I'm going to have to start with you and uh, your preferred Atlanta United. <sighs> Chris, this is a good team, even without Joseph Martinez. There's no reason they should be losing to this extent and, and in this fashion, unless there's some sort of underlying problem here. One of the things that you had mentioned in the chat before we started recording was uh, that of Frank DeBoer's tactics. I, and I have to say, looking at his track record after leaving Ajax at a variety of different teams, it it almost lends to more of the blame being placed on him at the helm than what you normally would afford to a manager would compared to the amount of tenure that he's spent spent at Atlanta United. So how much in your opinion, how much of Atlanta's form in this tournament uh, and potentially looking forward can be placed on things like quarantine or match fitness issues or, 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 or these sorts of things or, and, and how much of it has to get directed back at, at Frank DeBoer? Oh, where do I start with Atlanta? Um, I think, when they played against Red Bulls, I was I was all for DeBoer playing the back three or back five, whichever way you want to translate it. I think that sort of re-energised them halfway through last season when they struggled to get going as well. You know that the Red Bulls are going to press, so you want that extra body in there to sort of play through it. Um, I know it didn't work out, but I do think it was the right way to try and approach the game. Against Cincinnati, that's a completely different approach. You, you know how poor they are going forward. You know that they're going to try and cling on to whatever they can get defensively. I'd have personally gone with a 4-3-3, put the extra man in midfield and and try and get get midfield runners, maybe put Rosetto in there to, to make a late run, maybe something like that. Instead, basically, it was mostly just played in front of Cincinnati and it just made it real easy for them. Obviously, the red card didn't help either. But even after that, when he sort of, he sort of went to a 4-4-1 and just left Pity Martinez up front on his own, um, he didn't have his best, best display after... Being quite good against the Red Bulls, um, but still he, he was really isolated. And Cincinnati still didn't come forward. And I just don't think a 4-4-1 was necessary. I'd have, I'd have pushed Barco higher and just let them two try and work it out and maybe maybe get a runner behind them as well. 
moving away from tactics, I think we all know that there's, there's still a lot of question marks over the recruitment in the off-season. Uh, they, they lost Allenton Nagby to the crew. I think Dibault was hoping Hyman would be his replacement. He was promising early in the season, but I don't think he's that kind of player. I think he's he's great at getting sort of in, like those late runs I've just mentioned. Um, I don't think he's the guy to play through the press. And even letting the likes of Brandon Vasquez and Tito Villalba go, uh, we're seeing now how much they're struggling with Joseph Martinez. Adam Yarn's really improving at this level. Castro's missed a couple of big chances already. You've got to think that if you've got Villalba or Vasquez, someone of their experience coming in, you stand a much better chance of breaking down that that Cincinnati back line in the second game. And Brady, to come on to you with the Seattle Sounders, another one of these teams that really for the past four or five years have been near or at the top of the pile. They've not looked bad this tournament per se, or at least not nearly as bad as as some of their compatriots that are that are underperforming, you know, like LA Galaxy, who we'll come on to later. New York City, who we're going to touch on here shortly, uh, Atlanta United as an example, they don't look they don't look poor. Seattle, they just don't look like they're back to full power just yet. As each of their performances have kind of looked pretty flat and muted, are you worried about Seattle once the season starts back up, or do you see their performances thus far as more of treating this tournament like it's a preseason where the results don't really matter all that much? No, definitely. I mean, I'm obviously, you know, being on the Toronto FC beat, I'm, I'm more than familiar with the Sounders, you know, having played them three of the last four years in the MLS Cup final. And, and the interesting thing about Seattle is particularly last year, they they weren't exactly grabbing headlines throughout the throughout the regular season out West. You know, you had both your LA sides and I know there's Minnesota and, and Portland's always in the mix there. So, you know, they kind of went about their business and, and they seem to just kind of find their gear at the right time. Um I think they're well aware of the fact that they're going to be playing Vancouver in their third game. And, you know, given the, the state of the Whitecaps' current roster, I, I, they have to fancy themselves for three points in that one. And, you know, I think it's interesting as well. They're, they're definitely not the youngest team in the league. And we, we've seen some young players really thrive in this tournament. And, and, you know, Akinola and Mueller and guys that will, you know, break down in greater detail later. But I wonder if that's a factor. You know, some of their guys are, are, are on the wrong side of 30. And, sitting around might have, might have played a little bit more of a role in this than it would on, on some of these youngsters. But I, I think it would be short-sighted to count them out. I mean, we, we've seen historically, especially in recent years, you know, they, they just find a way to get it done, much like Toronto FC. They can do it in multiple ways, and they're not the flashiest team as it is. So I, we in, in this format, in Euro 2016, we've seen Portugal finish third in their group and, and rally all the way to, to the European Championship. So... You know, Seattle's definitely in this, and 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 if we can get back to a regular season, I I, th- I think they're still a genuine contender. It'll be interesting to see how they how they do treat their final game, and if if some of those guys, like you said, that are on the wrong side of thirty, are able to are able to get the gears moving in the right direction at the right speed uh, and uh, at at the right time, like like Seattle is known to do over the course of the regular season. And Chris, just to touch on the last team, the we have we we, we spoke briefly about New York City uh, last week week and there's been at least a little improvement in the sense that they got their first goal of of 2020 but nothing else has really gone right for the eastern conference champions of last year their goal came after a christopher mueller brace in the first 10 minutes against orlando city and then they gave up a third in the last 10 minutes after having the majority of the game to really try and push on and get that equalizer we talked last week about Ronnie Dela at the helm briefly, but to get more to the point here, 
this is not the NYCFC we're used to seeing. And we can say that about a few different teams, but a lot of times when you talk about an Atlanta United or when you talk about a Seattle Sounders, they look like themselves, just not not fully themselves, not fully the team putting out the performances that you're used to. This NYCFC team does not look like themselves at all. Is Ronnie Dale the right fit here? Uh, it was another strange performance against Orlando because I, I did mention last time they were still creating chances even though they weren't, they didn't score. And they did again, like Castellanos and Heber and Co. They, they still had good chances. Their only goal came from long range. It was a bit of a a specular effort from Medina. I think I don't think there's a problem creatively. I, like, like I said, they're still create, they're still getting chances, they're still getting in the box, they're still getting good crosses in. So I think once they sort of hit the full stride of the season, that I think I don't think goal scoring will be a problem. It might just be something where he's working out the kinks now, um, where this is a bit like a bit of a pre-season for him. Uh, Ronnie Dyler really, from from my memory anyway, I went to watch a, a couple of Celtic games while he was uh, in charge there, and he did struggle defensively. Um, that was like a, a running theme, even though they, they did win the league with him. It was it was when, when Rangers were down in the lower leagues, fighting their way back up, and they didn't really have a great deal of competition, and they still struggled defensively. So, and that's definitely something to to look out for as the season goes on, and um, if they're gonna emulate what they did last season and, and maybe go a bit further that's that's something that really is going to need a lot of hard work all right well enough about enough about these teams that are underperforming let's talk about some of the some of the premier the the feature matches over the course of the past week we've picked out a few to really get in into and, and chris i'm going to stick with you for this first one el trafico LAFC versus LA Galaxy. Uh, everybody was so excited whenever LAFC came into the came into the league in, for the 2018 MLS season, and really over the course of the past couple of years, they've they've overperformed compared to what you would typically expect out of a new MLS side. I mean, you see some of these some of these teams that have really struggled out of the gates, like like Minnesota United in their first season, uh, FC Cincinnati, and with last season being their first season. And things don't always go right. And for LAFC, that's not really been the story of their tenure in the league. And for all of the teams who have been underperforming in this tournament, LAFC absolutely have not. And if you're going to talk about Los Angeles at the moment, you have to mention Diego Rossi. An astonishing five goals and an assist in the first two rounds of this tournament is an overperformance despite already being a highly rated forward. And despite being a forward who's put... 13 and 16 goals uh, over the course of the past two seasons uh, that he's been with LAFC. So is he currently taking advantage of teams that have fallen apart on the day or, or really looking at the history of this guy and seeing him develop over the course of the last 30 months, two and a half years? Have you seen any developments in his game compared to the last two years that have potentially taken him to the next level based on what you've seen thus far? Um, I think to say he's been taking advantage of teams falling apart, I think that would do him a big disservice. Uh, I think I think he's having a big sort of a big say in teams falling apart. I think he's one of the causes of that. The the big difference I've noticed with him, but there's a few. I think he's making better runs into the box. His timing looks a lot better. Um, he's not getting caught offside as much, and sort of he's watching that line when the ball's coming across from the other way. His finishing looks a lot more composed. Um, I remember last season, there was quite a few times that 
you'd see him sort of beat the offside trap, he'd get in on goal and he'd, he'd blaze it over the top of the stadium, um, which can be incredibly frustrating to watch. But this season, he just he just looks like he's spent the whole off-season just sort of hitting shots at goal and just hitting those corners and he, he's looking really clinical. Another thing I've noticed is, and this may just be down to sort of experience learning alongside the likes of Carlos Vela and, and Bradley Wright Phillips as well, not to not to forget him. Um, it looks like he's learned when to pull the trigger now and when to pass, uh, when to when to run and when to sort of link up with his teammates. And that's a vital skill that he's got to learn if he's going to go and play in Europe. And he seems to be on that path now. No, I think that's spot on, Chris. I mean, Rossi's he's a 22-year-old player and, and relatively new to to the North American game. So I think it would be quite harsh to, to, for the for the experience and, and, and the, the growth that he's had in the last couple of seasons to say this is chalked up to, you know, the poor defending of other teams. I think he's obviously benefited from the absence of the absence, sorry, of Carlos Vela. Um, you know, you watch LAFC play last year and they, they, they never really had an established true number nine who, who was a reliable source for goals. So a lot of their offense ran through Vela. So naturally, you know, he was their guy. It, it's similar to, to, you know, how we see in basketball, you know, you have a, a player who just gets a certain amount of touches on the ball. And, and, and when they're in their absence, a guy who, in some people's opinion, is a lesser known player, a lesser talented player is, is suddenly putting up 20, 25 points a game. So I think this is a similar situation with Rossi. I, I don't think overnight he's learned how to, how to suddenly play football. I think he's always had it. It's just as a young player, he was a, he was a raw talent. And now that he's getting his reps and he's kind of the guy right now, he, he certainly it's paying off and, and, and Bob Bradley will be, Obviously, missing the experience of Vela I and mean, reigning MVP, reigning goal scorer, but for the time being, as as Chris touched on in his article prior to the prior to the tournament, LAFC are still serious contenders. And anybody who watched El Trafico last night and seen that one way Trafico, I think I think they're they're believers for sure. Yeah, that one thing I just did want to mention was like myself included. Uh, everyone was was talking about Brian Rodriguez being sort of the one who's got a point to prove going into the tournament. But you know what goal scorers are like. They all want to be the main guy. And it, it's important to remember that Rossi has been playing second fiddle to Carlos Vela. So it's, he's probably seeing this as an opportunity himself. Well, and to kind of touch on that that sort of the, the one-way traffico, it, it, it almost seems like... And this seems like such a strange thing to say for, for anybody who's been around the MLS prior to the introduction of LAFC here. It seems like Galaxy are backsliding. And really what I kind of want to touch on next, and and, and Chris, I'll start with you here, and, and Brady, feel free to pop in afterwards. Talk to me about there potentially being a, a change of guard here in Los Angeles since LAFC began their first season in 2018. Are Galaxy backsliding into a mid-table side? Is it due to LAFC's success? Is it of their own doing? Uh, there have been a lot of changes, I think, in the last two years uh, at Galaxy that that really have altered what that team looks like compared to, you know, uh, for for a reference point back to the Landon Donovan years. It just doesn't quite look the same. And, and, and really, are we seeing the, uh, the fall of a great MLS giant, or is this more of a blip on the radar that, that it shouldn't be too difficult to write the ship? Uh, I think it's been going on for too long now to call it a blip. Uh, when, when was the last time you could seriously say that the galaxy were one of the main contenders for MLS cup? It's, it's been quite some time. 
where, where do you look to, to where it's going wrong? I think while LASC have, have really bought into that sort of new model of, of bringing through young talent, whether that be from their own system or from South America and then sort of looking to move it on to Europe, I think while LASC have done that, LA Galaxy is still trying to build their roster around sort of one talisman. Sort of the last two seasons, it was Ibrahimovic. This season, it's supposed to be Javier Hernandez. Uh, when really, it's, it's Christian Pavon who's, who's carrying them in this tournament again. And uh, I say carrying them, trying to drag them from, from the floor. <laughs> <laughs> I think if, if they're really going to sort of compete in, well, the final game of this tournament and moving into the rest of the season and then even beyond that for the next couple of years and sort of re-establish themselves as as the giant of the league. I think it's time that they caught up with the rest of the league and, and stopped falling behind the times. It, it strikes me as something similar to what's happened to Manchester United in England where they've been dominant for so long and then all of a sudden the, the world's changed around them and they've just stayed put. Yeah, you actually you mentioned a couple. The the Manchester United comparison is actually a solid one because you 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 look around this this Galaxy side that 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 lost so brutally to LAFC, and you've got it's full of what you would consider to be stars of the MLS, or in in some cases superstars of the MLS. You know, you go back the past couple of years up until this season, you did have indeed Zlatan Ibrahimovic. This year, of course, the main man is. Is Christian Pavon? Uh, you're hopefully Chicharito. It uh, comes in and is able to to provide some sort of a, a of an impetus in this team. But e- even for who was put out on the day, it, it's full of it's full of solid international and MLS experience. You've got Sebastian Yetget. You've got Perry Kitchen. You've got. Uh, Emiliano Insua, you've got uh, Giancarlo Gonzalez on the bench. You've got Sasha Kleistan, Brady. It, it, that I think that Manchester United comparison is such a solid one that I'd like to I'd like to see you have your input on it a little bit. Is this is this a team that's trying to that's trying to find success in ways that used to work, and now as the world has moved on and 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 development has become so important, and working with your academy has become so important, and and scouting and recruitment and data and all these different things, uh, now that the the world has kind of modernized, is is Galaxy sticking to an old model that's leading to their downfall. Yeah, it's ironic that the United comparison comes up. Obviously, you know, they with Chicharito this year and Zlatan last year, obviously two former United strikers themselves. But yeah, I mean, I, I agree with Chris. I don't think this is something that happened, you know, last night with that result. I think Galaxy have had some issues for for a while now. And, you know, last year they, they only scored 58 goals and, and Zlatan had 30 of those. And, and obviously, you know, he's out the door and he's back in Italy. So I, I think bringing in Chicharito is, is far from a long-term solution. I, I think it's, it's, it's a distraction and, and it's, an, it's a grab of a big name and, and it'll build some, some hype, but will it bring results long-term? I, I don't think so. I think Pavan could be that guy. I, I, I think he, I think this is his team for me. He is the game breaker on that team. But yeah, LAFC, they've just, between scouting and, and the decisions they've made with their designated players, they've just, they've hit it out of the park with, you know, names that like Atuesta and obviously Rossi, Rodriguez, even Vela, he's, he's played at some top clubs, but he was never a star at, at Arsenal or any of these other teams. So they, they took a little bit of a gamble and, and their supporters, you know, they had full faith and I, I would think it, it might've worked out for them even quicker than they thought bringing in some of these young players, but they all seem to be coming into their prime at the same time. And 
And, and I've seen Galaxy are linked with players like Javier Pastore and, and guys who are 31, 32 years old. Great players on the day, but again, in three years' time, will, will they even be in your 11? So I think they've got to look, look at themselves in the mirror and maybe look, look across the city at what F- LAFC are doing. And perhaps, you know, it might, it might be time to, to change things up. And instead of trying to sell jerseys, think about, you know, what, what the implications of a transfer might be in five years' time. Well, and you make a good point there, especially with bringing some of these top stars over from Europe. Um, you know, it, you, you see the leaks. You mentioned Javier Pastore. Edinson Cavani has been one. Um, the LA Galaxy in the last few years had, had Steven Gerrard for a season. They had uh, Ibrahimovic for two. David Villa was an, at NYCFC uh, with its inaugural season and for a couple of seasons afterwards. And I think the big thing with having that sort of talismanic player is, is that you can only have one really. And then you have to be able to build a team around them from uh, however you decide to build a team. If you want it to be American only, if you want it to include um, some some CONCACAF stars, um, then build your team how you'd like to in an intelligent way. But if you just try and go out and make that marquee signing every single time, and you're choosing from an age group that isn't like your Christian Pavons every single time, or if it's not like your Ezekiel Barcos or uh, or some of these emerging stars like for Philadelphia Union, Brendan Aronson, um, you know, coming through the Youth Academy. If you're not bringing in those kinds of players, then ultimately you're you're just kind of shafting yourself in today's game. Brady, I want to stick with you and come across to uh, your beloved Toronto FC, and I want to start with a fella that I don't think anybody knew until about a week and a half ago, and that's Io Akinola. Prior to this season, Akinola had played less than a thousand MLS minutes for Toronto. In fact, he had played more minutes during the 2018 USL season for Toronto's B team than he's played for Toronto's first team since he joined in 2018. I think it comes up to like 980 minutes in two and a half years. He didn't play in either of Toronto's matches prior to the shutdown, only made the bench uh, in the win against NYCFC uh, right before uh, the pandemic broke out. And here he is, two games into this tournament, Josie Altidore unavailable, and he's got five goals, two of which that saved a point in a 2-2 draw with DC United and a hat trick against Canadian rivals Montreal that, that helped set the groundwork for winning that match because his hat trick was, uh, was scored relatively early. Um, Brady, who is this kid? I, I, I don't think very many people know anything about him. And, and here he is being one of the, being one of the top names in this tournament. Tell me, who is he? Yeah, I think, I think this was a question maybe Greg Berhalter or John Herbert might not have had the answer to before last week. Uh, you know, Akinola is a guy who, who really came out of nowhere in this tournament, quite frankly, for people who are are not super familiar with with TFC and with TFC two, where he spent the majority of his minutes, as you said. Uh, you know, Akinola is eligible to play for Canada, for the U.S., and, and as well as Nigeria. And I can guarantee you, all three are are definitely interested after after five goals in two games. And he, he's only twenty years old, so you know you could be forgiven for not knowing who this guy is. But yeah, he's a guy who's had he's had some success with them in in the USL. And the the issue with Akinola is that Altador when when healthy is is just a fixture in that position and and even achara was was the guy who got the start earlier this year and, and scored in his debut and obviously he's down with injury as well so it's it's next man up and and suddenly you know greg vanny has this guy who you know looks wise beyond his years and he's scoring goals that you know require require smarts require strength as we've seen against montreal and and 
look, a heck of a finish uh, on the goal as well, which was was not something I, I had pegged him for. So, you know, he looks like a serious prospect for Toronto FC, and, and quite frankly, he was a guy I didn't give enough credit for heading into this tournament. But, you know, there's rumblings now that, that Altidore is on the mend and, and, and he's likely going to be available possibly off the bench for their last group stage game and then for, uh, moving forward, perhaps even in a starting role. But for me, I, I just don't see how you can take a guy out who's got five goals in two games. So it'll be really interesting to see if he can keep that spot. And, you know, obviously with, with five goals in two games, he's he's, he's co-leading the, the tournament in goals. So if, if he can make a run at a golden boot and, you know, really, really make a splash on the major league soccer scene and beyond. Yeah, as, as you touched on there, I, I think the, the biggest thing that's impressed me about Akinola is it's not, okay, yeah, the, the level of goals is, is obviously impressive for someone who's essentially a rookie, but it's it's how he's scoring him for me. He's not just sort of poaching it at the back post and things like that and scoring tap-ins. He's bullying defenders. He's using his pace to, to sort of beat the offside trap. He, he's chipping goalkeepers. Um like it, it, there's loads of audacity with his finishes, um, for a guy who's so like so unknown before this, it, it's really impressive to see. He's he's more than took his chance. So as the the question is, who needs Josie Altidore? Well, I know the U.S. men's national team has been asking that question for a little while now, and especially with Brady bringing up his eligibility being available for a few different countries. I know, at the very least, as a uh, as as a as a United Statesman myself, Brady and I may be going toe to toe on that topic whenever it comes closer to time for his first international call up. Uh, so hopefully, it's me, so I can lord it over him, and it'll be just fine. <laughs> Chris, I'm going to stick with you. We talked extensively about Thierry Henry last week and what needed to be done to succeed. And I think in this match, there were several changes, not only to personnel, like, you know, I know, I know one of the things that Brady brought up last week was getting Piet back into the midfield and not playing as a, as a very defensive wing back. You know, even looking at the formation itself, you know, a lot of what we saw last night looked more like a three-four-three or a three-five-two rather than rather than a five-back with just a lone striker up top. So I think we saw a lot of what Thierry Henry needed to do in order to start getting results in this tournament, and really, in a match like this, he didn't do he didn't do a bad job with it. It just came out on the day that you've got a kid like Akinola who's going to go ahead and put in a hat trick. And defensively, they they were they were lacking structure, but I don't think they were altogether unorganized. So they did look better at the end of the day. Ended up loop, dropping all points. You know they were down four two. Got a consolation goal through Safir Tider uh, in the in basically the last kick of the game, but. So talk to me about these changes, what you saw from Impact going forward. Are there any positives that he can take from his club's performance in this match as they head home or are likely to be heading home to recoup before the season begins? Yeah, I think there's some massive positives to take. Um, the first sort of 25, 30 minutes, but to be honest, the whole game was a bit of a punch-up, but for the first half an hour or so, I thought both teams really went toe to toe with each other, and I thought I thought the impact looked really good. They created some really good chances. Uh, they played some decent football out the back. Uh, the, the thing that's going to trip them up later down the line, it, like like quite a few teams as you mentioned, is that is that defensive structure. Hopefully, uh, from a Montreal perspective, it comes with a lot of hard work from Henri and his coaches on the training ground. But as as a positive, they certainly don't have any any sort of issues going forward. At the end of the day, 
they've they've just faced up to last year's MLS Cup runner-up, one of the best teams in the league, um, and they, they've outperformed them in the in the sort of XG metric. I think it was two point seven three to one point five five. So you can see like they generated some good chances. I know I know they had two penalties, but they are creating. They're, they're playing quite well. I just, I just think a couple of tweaks defensively, and they, they could be a bit of a, bit of a dark horse to get into the playoffs and a bit further. Yeah, hundred percent. I thought, I thought tactically that there was there was some massive improvements from Terry Henry and the impact. Uh, you know, at first time out against the Revs, I, I mentioned this last week. It genuinely looked like a lot of guys out there weren't really sure what their roles were, or at least didn't have a ton of experience in those roles, but. I, I think you could make the case that 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 Toronto FC, you know, were fortunate and kind of relied on some individual brilliance to get this one done. I, I think the impact probably did a better job of, of actually executing their game plan. Uh, I liked Wanyama in the back three. I thought he gave them some great options coming out of the back. And, you know, obviously, you know, has tons of experience and and, and the physical strength and and he was a he gave them a different look that they didn't have against the Revs, which I liked. Uh they did have to take Rod Fanny out of the back. Uh, I thought he was terrific against New England. I'm, I'm going to assume at 38 years old, he just he just needed a rest, quite honestly. And I th- the number one thing I thought was was a common theme between the two matches was their their tendency to leave some of their intriguing attacking options on the bench, uh, either for the whole match or in, until the game was almost decided. So. You know, Lapalainen and, and Uruti and, and Bouillon, they've got some terrific players and some guys who have got some dynamism and, and, and offer a unique kind of combination up there. So they haven't been able to find that balance. Uh, the, I mean, they managed to score three goals, so kudos to them with that. But, you know, I want to see more of Lapalainen and, and, and some of these guys who who they've brought in for, for big money and, and, and obviously high-profile players. So I think the impacts still have a ton of ton of promise, and it, it looked looked like the strides were made against Toronto. And like we said, they're they certainly a long shot to get into the knockout round at this point. But uh, I'll certainly be tuning in to see what they can do against DC and and other make a run at the group stage or, or build for for the regular season if and when we get there. And it's interesting too. You 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 mentioned the the Wanyama point as well because they. When you saw him play in their first match, you just you just thought he he doesn't look like he's got the mobility that allowed him to move around in, the, in the, as a as a defensive midfielder in the Premier League. And you wondered whether or not potentially a shift into the back line maybe into his future. And 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 Henri goes ahead and tries that out for this match. And and you're absolutely right, especially if you're going to work with a back three. You've got more mobility uh, for your two outside center backs. You've got wing backs that are going to be tracking back. And Munyama's job is basically just to sit in the defensive line rather than just in front of it. And it requires that less mobility. And he can use the intelligence that allowed him to be, once upon a time, such an excellent defensive midfielder and turn that into a solid quality uh, MLS center back. So it'll be interesting to see if that's something that does stick around for a little while. Moving to the last match that we wanted to to feature here on this podcast is uh, San Jose versus Vancouver. Brady, I'm going to stick with you. This match had a little bit of everything, man. Um, there was an own goal, huge errors from goalkeepers, a last gasp winner after a brilliant comeback. Vancouver blew a 3-1 lead in a match where they looked deserved winners for the first hour, which is which is quite some time to hold on to a, a, a really dominating a game before letting it all fall apart. And that's exactly what happened in the last half hour. 
in your mind, was this an unlucky result or did San Jose come out of the gate slow? And then once they grew themselves into the game, they went and put on a performance that they could have put on for 90 minutes. It just didn't end up turning out that way. Yeah. First of all, uh, I just want to say if you've ever seen an own goal 10 seconds after an offensive corner kick, I would like you to tag me in that on Twitter because that was, that was definitely a first. I, I, that was, that was an unbelievable moment. Whether And if you do find that, make sure to tag Chris and I in that as well. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, uh, they, they broke that one down on TSN. I, I'm not sure uh, Dos Santos and, and the Whitecaps. Uh, I'm not sure that they've even ever seen that before. They, they must have had a bit of a bit of a smile as as the defender came back and put that in his own net there. But no, I mean this was from a neutral standpoint. You know, was it was it perfect by by no stretch of the imagination? No, but I, it, it had absolutely no shortage of entertainment. I mean, we seen the, the winner at, at the at the end there from San Jose to, to come all the way back, and I think an assistant coach had had a flair in in the uh, in the celebrations. I'm not sure how how that even happened under the, under the quarantine rules that they have. But I, I was, I was certainly here for it. Um, no, I mean, four, three own goals, <sighs> blown leads, goalkeeping errors. It's, it's not a coach's dream, but I, I think, I think it would be silly to say that's not an entertaining match. I, I, I think the quality w- was far from the, far from the peak of interest here. And, and, th- and quite frankly, Vancouver has brought, you know, a, a depleted roster as it is. I don't think, their expectations outside of that city are, are very high in this tournament. So San Jose were always favorites to win this game. Did I did I see it happening in that fashion? Absolutely not. But I think at the end of the day, the team that deserved the three points got them and they got caught on the counter and they made some silly mistakes early on. They were able to they were able to turn that around. So I think in the end the result was was fair. Obviously Vancouver will feel hard done by, but if you heard San Jose four three eight at the at the end of the game and you didn't watch, you would think, yeah, fair enough. But this, there was so much going on in there in between. And, and if you didn't catch this one, uh, I feel bad for you. And I, I think, I think you should check the highlights out and, and maybe consider catching another Vancouver game in the near future, because I, I think expectations might not be the highest, but I think they're going to be a lot of fun and they're just going to have a go at this for, for the next two in the group stage. Well, and especially talking about the the spectacle of this event, Brady, there's been some chatter, uh, some online stuff that we that you and I had spoken about before we began recording about whether or not this match was a good advertisement for for MLS on the global level, trying to uh, attract global audiences to what the MLS is. And there were a lot of heads that are that are getting turned to this MLS's back tournament from abroad simply because the MLS is maybe. I think it would be it would be a bit on the ridiculous side to say that it can it can compare with some of the other leagues that are a lot more heavily televised around the world, like your Premier Leagues, uh, you know, the Bundesliga. But also, you know, we've been denied soccer for four months, and and then all of a sudden, as as the seasons start coming back, as the leagues start to conclude, and and especially with the MLS just getting started, I I feel like there are a lot of heads that are turned on this tournament as a precursor to what the MLS season is going to look like, and when you look at a match like this with with the spectacle of it with the you know in some instances hilarity uh, of 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 the the occurrences of the match like the own goal that you talked about does does this kind of game with the nature of the goal scored the errors made the twist in the narrative throughout does it provide a glowing review of what soccer fans can find if they tune into the MLS regularly or on the flip side do you feel like it maybe showcases a little bit too much about how the the levels of quality are are 
different is a nice way to put it, but I think objectively we have to say lower uh, here in the States. Does, does a match like this do the MLS service? Yeah, I feel like if if anybody you know overseas in Europe was was hoping to tune into a Whitecaps game and perhaps spot the next Alfonso Davies out on the field, they might have been a little disappointed in the product. But yeah, no, I think I think that would be harsh. Quite honestly, I, I, I'm a I'm an avid watcher of the Premier League and all the major European leagues, and you know we've seen some some starts from some teams that have been less than ideal. I don't think that that's a problem exclusive to the North American game or to, to Major League Soccer. So. You know, a four-three game. Obviously, yeah, you break down you break down the highlights and, and where, where the mistakes were made. It's it's not going to be pretty. And I, I think in general, the the North American game tends to be a little bit more open and, and perhaps a little less tactical. So this is a Vancouver team who's who's probably never had that eleven play together before. And San Jose is coming off a match that we 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 touched briefly on last week in Seattle that was nil nil and was, was frankly a little bit dry. So. You know, they come in and suddenly all these all these crazy circumstances are unfolding and, you know, they do manage to, you know, to get it done ultimately. But no, I, I don't think this is a problem that's that's exclusive to to Major League Soccer. And, you know, if if, if the European fans of the game and, and, you know, fans across the world are tuning in, I, I hope as a neutral that, that they can just sit back and enjoy that. It's it's part of the beautiful game, you know, own goals and and obviously flares in the celebration and that sort of thing. And, you know, whether it's you know, United and Chelsea or DC United and, and, and Vancouver or who, who may be it. I, I think you, you can appreciate a 4-3, particularly as a neutral. Maybe not every night, but, you know, that's not what this league is all about. I think that was was definitely uh, definitely one that stood out, maybe not for all the right reasons, but uh, I'm certainly glad I, I tuned in and, and, and I'd be happy to watch another one if, if Vancouver can offer that again tonight. Well, and Chris, same question, and and to expand a little bit here as well, Brady really, really brings a, a good point here, where th- there's there's a certain level of entertainment, perhaps, that comes with, uh, generally speaking, a lower level of quality in terms of uh, what can happen. Because you know, I, I, just like Brady, and I, and I know you are with your work for Squawka. Um, you know, we watch we watch the big leagues, quote unquote. We watch the Premier League, we watch the Bundesliga, we watch Serie A. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing better than watching Liverpool or Manchester City or Bayern or Real Madrid or Juventus systematically pick apart sides over the course of the season due to their quality on the ball, off the ball. There's inherent value in that. But I think one of the things that makes the MLS so much fun is is part of the reason Part of the reason why we like these four three finishes. Part of the reason why you know when Leicester batters Southampton nine nil, you know there's there there are these little outlier moments that happen across the 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 major leagues that that bring an entertainment value that don't always come with a, an extremely high level of quality and and with the MLS we do we, we Brady's right we don't get a four three finish or, or or a comeback from three one down every single game or every single week but there is a certain level of of entertainment value that comes with the MLS and being someone who is abroad and, and and somebody who thoroughly enjoys not only watching, but covering the MLS um, as part of the work that you do, you, you don't do this because this is just some job. You do it because you actually take some value in what the MLS is and what the MLS is doing and, and, and the product that actually comes out on a game by game standpoint. So to you, you know, feel free to touch on anything that Brady touched on, but but also talk to me about that entertainment value and how that that brings you into the MLS fold as a as a, as a journalist. 
Yeah, well, I mean, for example, I got up at 3.15am local time last night to cover El Trafico. Uh, I don't think you do that kind of thing if if you don't love what you do and if you, if you don't love the league. A better man than me. <laughs> <laughs> but, listen, uh, MLS is always going to be a victim of, of that sort of Euro snobbery and that sort of reputation. I was guilty of it myself before I watched the league yet, uh, all those years back. But I think, I think when you do watch it, you do you do start to realise there's a lot of teams in the with their own sort of individual identities. You know, the Red Bulls like to press. You know, you, you've got Atlanta and and the the impact at the moment playing back threes. Seattle are known for the counter attack. So there's just a few teams you know with, with different identities. Um, so you certainly do see a lot of interesting tactical battles. Um, I think watching a, a four-three sort of like kind of sometimes in MLS it, it's that haphazard. It it does feel like it's a bit of a drunken bar fight. And <laughs> do you know what? I've got no problem with that as well. As much as a, you know, sometimes it's great to watch. <laughs> sometimes it's great to watch two of the uh, the best teams in the world sort of feel each other out in a in a tactical battle that finishes say one all or two one, but. Other times, I think I just you just like to sort of see two teams really go at each other's throats and just see who can make the most mistakes. Yeah, MLS is always going to have that bit of a uh, it's going to be a victim of that snobbery. But from my own experience, it's it's a league that's a lot of fun to cover. Um, there's a lot of sort of individuality amongst the teams, despite it being sort of like a, a single entity model. Um, and I, I think the only way is up for it myself. All right, folks, what I'm going to do is I'm going to fill all of you in on the results of the week that we've decided not to delve into too terribly deeply. I'll let uh, Brady and Chris come in at the end and and see if there's anything that they want to pop through uh, and say about some of these matches. Uh, Last week we recorded on Sunday, so we did not include the Minnesota United 2 Sporting Kansas City 1 result or the Real Salt Lake Colorado Rapids uh, match that ended 2-0 to Real Salt Lake. Monday, there were three matches. Toronto FC and DC United drew two all, uh, and then subsequently LAFC and Houston Dynamo drew three all in a in a blistering game. And then finally, Galaxy lost their first game before El Trafico to the Portland Timbers two to one. Um, on Tuesday this past week, uh, Chicago Fire uh, took on the Sounders and won two one on the day. Orlando City took down New York City uh, FC 3-1 to one, uh, after New York scored their first goal. Orlando made sure that they weren't going to see any fruits for their labor. Uh, Philadelphia Union continued their winning streak by taking on Inter-Miami and winning that match 2-1. to one. Uh, On Wednesday was the aforementioned uh, San Jose and Vancouver match. Thursday, uh, Atlanta United went down to FC Cincinnati. Sorry to remind you once again, Chris. And along with the the Toronto Montreal match, Columbus Crew also extended their winning streak in this match uh, over with a two nil win over New York Red Bulls. Last couple of matches that went through: uh, DC United and New England Revolution drew one all. Sporting Kansas City uh, improved on their form and won their second round match against the Colorado Rapids three to two. Real Salt Lake took a bit of a downturn, and so did Minnesota United as they drew nil nil. And yesterday, uh, along with El Trafico, the Portland Timbers won two to one over the. Houston Dynamo, seeing the Dynamo drop down to 0-2, and the Timbers continue their record in the tournament to uh, two wins from two. So, Brady, uh, Chris, uh, feel free. Uh, uh, Brady, I'll let you pop in first. Is there anything else from this week that you'd really like to bring to light before we kind of close out this podcast, or would it be best to move on to our last little bits and bobs? 
Yeah, no, I, I just I, I wanted to just chime in and 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 make sure uh, Chris Mueller from Orlando got his kudos. Um, he, he's a young player that, frankly, I, I I've personally overlooked. You know, I think a lot of that falls to the fact that he's been with Orlando and 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 they've struggled a little bit in recent years. They they've yet to get a playoff berth since joining the league. But you know, I watched a player the other night who's still only twenty three years old, and and like Chris said earlier about Akinola's, it's one thing to score two goals, but but Mueller's both were just two goals of absolute quality. One. One on the full volley from a, from a brilliant ball in from their left back, while Matinho, and and then the second one, his ability to take that down and, and get on his left foot and finish on a tight angle. I just think for a player of that age, you know, to, to be able to to show that kind of goal scoring prowess, I think I think the sky's the limit. And you know, he's he certainly turned my head, and, and I think I'm not the only one. So he he's a guy I'm definitely going to have an eye on, not only for the rest of this tournament, but but moving forward, both with Orlando and. And perhaps with the with the United States uh, national program as well. Yeah, I think the the team I wanted to bring back again. I know I've, I've both talked and and sort of I've done plenty of work on them recently. It's Columbus Crew. Uh, they had a bit of a disastrous season last season, but they've, they've looked the real deal again um, against the Red Bulls. They absolutely torched them down that right hand side with uh, Cadden and Pedro Santos. I think it's it's really scary to think that they've still got Valenzuela to come back at, at left back as well. He's, he's arguably the best left back in the league when he's he's fully fit and on form. Uh, I've, I've mentioned a few times how good Darlington Nagby's looked in midfield. You know, you got Zellery Ander now, who's that creative outlet that they've needed, and and Zardes is is really sort of dovetailing off him perfectly. So they're going to be a real force for for the rest of the season. And uh, one for Brady, I think we need a bit of a Richard Larea at left back appreciation moment. Um, Think he, I think he looked really good uh, going forward against Montreal and should be interesting to see how that pans out for the rest of the season. Yeah, Richie, Richie's kind of been the super sub in, in Toronto since he since he hopped on board last year and he's played, it seems like, almost every position on the field. So it was awesome to see him get the start the other day. And I've had an opportunity to chat with Richie. He's a great guy and obviously a great player and one that's turning heads on, on the Toronto FC scene and, and as well as the national team. And that position's you know, not one that they have a ton of depth at with the national team. So I, I think John Herbin's definitely, definitely paid attention to that game the other night. And it'd be interesting to see what, what Justin Morrow's status is moving forward. But you know, clearly they've got more than formidable second option there in Lorea. So yeah, I think that's a, it's a good shout there, Chris. The last thing I'm going to pitch to you guys before we before we close out and toss around Twitter handles and these sorts of things is um, for all these teams that are fighting for uh, the four third place options. Uh, Chris, I'll start with you. Give me one team that you're that you've basically got nailed on uh, for getting that third place or one of those four third place finishes that's going to go on to the next round and, and a couple of reasons why. Uh, I'd love to say that Atlanta United are going to absolutely destroy Columbus Crew 6-0 <laughs> and Cincinnati are going to fall apart and everything's going to be okay. But that's not going to happen. I think that the one that you can't rule out has got to be Seattle Sounders, the MLS Cup champions. They've proven year after year that, okay, sometimes they make a slow start, sometimes they look unremarkable through most of the season. Just when you write them off or just when you think they're done, they always turn it on. They've got Raul Rui Diaz there, who was exceptional in the playoffs last season. Jordan Morris, is he just looks like a renewed player since he's come back from his injury. You've got Roldan and Ladero just pulling the strings. They've got way too much, too much quality to crash out now. 
Um, and I think if they do sneak in as one of those third place teams, they, they could be a real force in the in the knockout rounds. And Brady, uh, Seattle, uh, a, a completely resurgent, dominating performance for Atlanta United, or do you see somebody else who, who, who's got a good bet for making it on through to the next round despite their poor start? If Atlanta, if Atlanta United can pull off that that six 0 result, I think I think some of the European counterparts of Chris over there will be will be pretty disappointed with the MLS once again after that four three game the other night. So I I don't have that one happening. I think Seattle are are, are are a safe bet. I think I think they'll comfortably win against Vancouver tonight. Uh, if I'm wrong, Whitecaps fans, let me know. I I, I can take it on the chin and and frankly, I, I'd like to see an interesting result again tonight, but. Other than that, I, I like DC United. Uh, I, he Wayne's come off the bench and, and, and snatched points for them in both of their games. And, you know, they, they look decent in, in stretches, especially in their second match. But even against Toronto FC, to, to, to salvage uh, a draw from being down a man and down two goals, I think they, they deserve some marks for that. And, you know, against Montreal, it's a team we've talked about. They're clearly still in transition. So I, I like DC uh, against Montreal and, and, once you get in and if, if you can maybe ease he going into the lineup, if, if his fitness levels are, are there for him to, to start and try to make a contribution a little earlier, they're not a team. I, I don't hate DC as a bit of a dark horse as well, but of the teams who are not currently in the top two, I think Seattle is probably your safest bet for sure. All right, boys, we're going to go ahead and close out until we meet again next week. This has been the second episode of the North American Soccer Show. We will be here uh, for the rest of the tournament. We'll be here for the regular season, bringing you all kinds of coverage through World Football Index. Chris, uh, where where can people find you on Twitter? Um, and and what sort of uh, what sort of output uh, creative content can we expect from you for the upcoming week? My Twitter handle is cjsmith91. Uh, I'm doing a few days with Squawker at the start of the week. No idea what they've got in store for me yet, but I was doing player ratings on the FA Cup semi-final today, so that was certainly interesting to see David De Gea fall to pieces. Um, and then I'm just going to be trying to sort of cram in as many MLS games as possible and just report them as much as I can. And Brady, how about you? Where where can we find you on Twitter? Uh, what sort of coverage are we looking at this week as we as we look to close out the MLS's back tournament? Yeah, so once again, it's you know on Twitter, Brady Reed underscore, and there'll be plenty of Toronto FC stuff, but but plenty of stuff about football around the world. And and with regards to content, uh, you know the Reds are backs in action Tuesday morning. So between World Football Index and and Waking the Red, I'll be doing tons of match coverage, be it previews, breakdowns, all that sort of thing. So so yeah, so check it out, and I'm certainly excited to see how it all how it all pans out here as we kind of close the group stage. And last and definitely least, uh, I'm your host, Dylan Baker. Uh, you'll you'll see me around. Haven't decided, or at least Chris Smith hasn't told me uh, what I'm supposed to be working on this week. So we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. My Twitter handle is at DLN underscore BKR. And this has been your North American Soccer Show. See you next week. Bye.